feel <laughs> this, these guys, man, all morning. It was just, uh, I felt like they just like turn around and hand the ball to running back and just 12 times right up the middle. I mean, just, just uh, hitting the enemy, just face head on, just uh, to God be the glory. And I was going to sing, but uh, never mind. Uh, I don't feel real needed right now. But um, we're going to pray together. It's great to worship with you. I want to just early this morning driving here thinking um, about the number of places around our community that are gathering right now to exalt Jesus Christ and preach the word. And um, we're going to pray for churches in our community. We're going to pray for the word to be proclaimed faithfully and the spirit to be free to work and lives to be changed and and um, certainly the church is meeting around the globe, but just right here in this time zone in our community, you drove by a lot of churches this morning to get to this place, and we want to we pray for those places. You'll go tomorrow to work, to school, to class. You'll be on a team where people gathered in other places and churches and exalted Christ. And maybe uh, we could pray today that a part of that conversation would be just the testimony of what God did in a whole bunch of places, not just one place, but a whole bunch of places today for his name's sake. And I don't, I don't have a written list. I'm just kind of thinking directionally in my mind when I uh, just stand here and I look toward Athens. I want to ask you to pray this morning for Green Acres. Uh, Baptist Church there, Cameron Ford's the pastor. I think of David Holt and Living Hope. I think of Scott Shepherd and Cornerstone. I think of Mark McAndrew and North Avenue. I think of um, we're in town there. I pray for Beach Haven and Beach Haven and David Mills, Redeemer, Presbyterian Church. Um, pray for Calvary Bible Church and Thomas Settles there. I come uh, here and our community in our area. Uh, think of Cleveland Road Baptist Church. I ask you to pray for them and for Sean C. and Athens Church. Pray for Josh Smith and Prince Avenue and uh, Faith Presbyterian here in our community. Uh, Bethel Baptist Church right here in downtown where Kevin Daniel is the pastor. I think of Antioch Christian in the south end of our county. Michael Wolfel is the pastor there. You may recognize that last name. His brother Robbie Wolfel's on staff here. Michael and his wife are part of our church for a number of years and, and now is the new pastor at Antioch Christian. I ask you to pray for them. Revival Church, some of you may know that church as Memorial Baptist Church in downtown Watkinsville. I ask you to uh, pray for them. Ashford Memorial Methodist has a brand new pastor and ask you to pray for that church as they get used to and connected and uh, with, a, with a new pastor there. And, and maybe God would bring a church to your name that um, you're, I haven't even mentioned. Let's go to the Lord right now. Let the Spirit of God bring that church to mind and pray for them. And I'll close this here in a second.
Father, people are gathered in this community now singing, spending time together, studying the word, presenting the gospel. A lot of different styles, but our hope is the gospel. Our hope is Jesus. And Jesus, I think in the gospel of John of how you prayed that the Father might make us one. We don't know how all that works out and plays out, but we join the prayer of Jesus that you would make followers of Jesus Christ one. We pray, Father, today that the word would be preached faithfully in spirit and truth. We ask you, Father, that you would help in each of these church settings that the Spirit of God would not be quenched. That people lost and without hope, not knowing Jesus, would be saved in those rooms where people are meeting. We pray, Father, that the enemy would be bound and he would have no winds today. We pray, dear Lord, that pastors would be encouraged, church members would be strengthened. I pray that you would give us something to talk about tomorrow in the midst of talking about sports and weather. I pray, Lord, that in believers' lives there would be joy, there would be glory, there would be praise for you, what you did in hearts and lives today, gathered in your name. We pray for awakening in our community, Lord, that many, just your spirit would be free to work and Loss would be saved. Relationships would be restored. Is that we pray, Lord, for revival among believers. Start it here. Start it with me. Start it, Lord, wherever you would choose. But we pray, God, that there would be this, this absolute surrender to your will, to your plan. We'd be wholehearted in all we do in all of our steps. And um, you've given us a good place to live. You've given us blessings. I pray, Lord, just like we've sung, that we'd be grateful. And Jesus, you'd be first and on the throne in our lives. Open your word of Ephesians to us today in a powerful way, and I pray that we would be strengthened by it, encouraged by it, convicted, changed, obedient to your word. In Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. Calvin had one job. Just one job. <laughs> Calvin worked for my dad. He was one of my dad's employees. He was new to working for him. And I remember an evening when my dad was relaying this story about Calvin and his work that day. And the job that my dad had given Calvin was to read was to weed several hundred pots of a plant called monkey grass. And he told him to weed the monkey grass, and he'd be back to check on him in a little while. And Dad said, I got back there, and I looked, and Calvin's sitting there, big smile on his face. He's finished, and he said there were, there were um, hundreds of pots and containers full of weeds and piles and piles and piles of monkey grass that had been pulled and ready to be thrown away. I don't know if it was in vogue then or not, but I could hear my dad saying, Calvin had one job. He just had one job. Today, when we come to Ephesians chapter 2, I feel like I can hear the Apostle Paul saying, 
Believer, you got one job. You got one job. And the reason I say that is because in the first three chapters, six chapters in the book of Ephesians, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, there is one command. Only one. In three chapters, there's only one command, one imperative. The Apostle Paul gives lots and lots of information. He, he writes these three chapters, and, and in the first half of Ephesians, just one time do we have an opportunity to be directly obedient to that imperative, to that command. And that single command in those first three chapters occurs in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. You know what it is? Remember. Remember. One command. One imperative. Remember. And the goal today for this text is for us to do our one job to walk away from this room we've, we've sung about it we, we, Jason talked about it we read about it we'll sing about it again at the end one thing to do and that's to remember and Ephesians 2 verses 11 through 22 the apostle Paul says remember who you were remember who you are and remember the high price paid to get you from where you were to where you are remember who you are remember remember who you were remember who you are and remember what it costs to get you from who you were to who you are these verses are about are about identity they are verses that he writes to the Gentiles, to the believers in Ephesians that have been preserved for us for this very day to establish our identity in Jesus Christ. Not our identity in our job, not our identity in our sexual orientation, not our identity in our color of skin, not our identity in our class or our educational degree, our identity in Jesus Christ remember who you were remember who you are remember the high price paid to get you from who you were to who you are and look at it how he unfolds this in verse 11 he says therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands remember that you were at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man 
in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, but on the foundation of the built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Today I've already given you the outline. I want to take these verses and talk to you about who you were, who you are, and the cost it took to get you there. This is a passage of scripture that's directed to believers. And so today when I talk about who you were and who you are, I'm thinking of those in the room right now that according to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves. It's not by works so that no man can boast. And so for those here today that have by grace through faith believed in Jesus, trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we have this who you were, who you are passage. In verse 11, the Apostle Paul once again defines his audience. He, he talks to them about their context of where they're living and the reality that they're living in a culture where there's a lots of animosity and enmity and prejudice and hostility. And he acknowledges that out loud in this text. He says, therefore, remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. The word Gentile there is a reference to uh, uh, ethnicities. It separates the Jewish people from all other people. And writing particularly to these Gentile believers as a Jew, the Apostle Paul says, remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh called, he says, you had a name, you had a nickname, if you will. Others referred to you as the uncircumcision. And he says, by what is called the circumcision. And those who called you the uncircumcision identified themselves as the circumcision and what is this he says which is made in the flesh by hands and the apostle Paul brings this simple description of what separates the people and in their minds Paul says I want you to know that you have this name the uncircumcision by those who identify as the circumcision what they are saying separates you is a is, is an outward marker of the flesh performed by human hands. And it was an alert to them that I'm about to talk to you about an inward marker on the spiritual heart performed by the hands of God, the Holy Spirit. And he's, he's helping them have in their mind and their thoughts, this divide that was between them and the Jewish people, this division that the Apostle Paul was 
recognizing between the Jewish people, the chosen people of God, the people we read about on that journey in the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul was pointing out to them, there's a difference between you and the Gentiles. There is a social divide. Every little Gentile boy walking down the street of Ephesus that would spot a Jewish boy would see that boy and know that's a Jewish boy. Or the Jewish boy, that's a Gentile boy. And there would be this immediate separation. There was social separation. There was racial separation. There was religious separation. There was hostility and prejudice and animosity and enmity. Socially, racially, and religiously. Paul says, there's more to this though than just an outward fleshly mark. There's more to this. And he says, I want to get to the heart of the matter. He says in verse 12, remember that you were at that time. And he goes into a list of five descriptors that would tell the Gentile people who they were. Now you say, Pastor, I feel like I'm in a little bit of a history lecture right now. Bring it home. Who, who are you? And I don't, I don't know every person in the room. It's very, likely, it's very likely, very possible that there might be someone here today. And, I, and if I ask you, your ethnicity, your race, you say, I'm Jewish. I personally don't know that person in the room. And, and my perspective is, as I look at you, that we are like the church at Ephesus. We're, we're Gentiles. We're Gentiles. We were not a part of the story in the Old Testament of the chosen people of God, the Jewish people. And so when we read these verses, what we find is a descriptor of who we were. We find a descriptor of who you were before by grace through faith that you were saved. And so let's remember who we were. As the Apostle Paul says, first of all, he says, you were separated from Christ. You were separated from Christ. You had no relationship with Christ. You were without Christ. There was no relationship with you and the Messiah. That promised Messiah that was prophesied about in the Old Testament. You had no relationship with him you were separated from him before faith before grace no Christ what does that mean for us that means no Christian now I might come to you today and say tell me when you became a believer tell me when you became a Christian and it might have become your habit to say in your answer well pastor I've been a Christian my whole life I've been a Christian since I was born. The Apostle Paul would hear us say that and he would say, I need to interject right there. When you were born, you were without Christ. It is not true for us to say, if we're today we're sitting here as a believer, we're sitting here as a follower of Jesus, we, there was a day when you were without Christ and there is a day now that you are with Christ. 
And you may not know the date on the calendar. You may just know when, it, when I was about 32. When I was a junior in college. Friends, there has, if you're a believer today, you're a Christian today, you're a follower of Jesus today, every genuine believer had a day when you were without Christ. And we can't forget that. We were without Christ. And then number two, he says, we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. In the Old Testament, God announces his choosing of the Jewish people. And through Abraham, he, he draws them out. He chooses them to be his people. He says to Abraham that through you I will bless all humanity. But in the, in the, in the national operation of the Jewish people, in the religious operation of the Jewish people, in the blessings of God as the Jewish people, he says to the Gentiles, it's a lesson for us too, that there are that we are aliens to that. And just put a little parenthesis there, and that's why in the New Testament when you see the descriptors of people being grafted in or adopted in, that, that is the, the picture of what the Apostle Paul is talking about here at a time in our life without Christ and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We shared no racial unity, no social unity, no religious unity, no national unity. We were, if you will, outside the circle of the commonwealth of the, Israel, of the Jewish people. And then he goes on, he says, you were also strangers. He says, you were strangers to the covenants of promise. Gentile people living among the Jewish people would have seen their feast, known of the temple, they would have heard of their rituals. They would have heard of promises that they were clinging to. The Jewish people celebrated those things. They had groups of people that made sure people knew what they, the way they dressed, the way they worshipped. And the Apostle Paul was saying, before Jesus Christ, you were strangers to all of that. Have you ever walked into a room and... As soon as you walked into that room, you thought, I don't belong here. You had that feeling before? I remember that feeling vividly, 10th grade year, two weeks before Christmas, kind of just on a spur of a moment. I changed schools 30 miles from the country into town and went to Muscle Shoals High School. My class that I'd been with since first grade, the 25 of us, left that class Went to this school, for me, it was 120 students in my class. It seemed like I'd moved to New York City. I mean, it was just crazy. I remember being dropped off that morning in front of that school and walking into that front door with my stomach killing me. I was so anxious. And I remember just walking around, looking around, thinking, these are not my people. The Apostle Paul, in a much heavier way, a much deeper way, is saying to the Gentile people, before Christ, before your faith in him, you were strangers to the promises, to the covenants, to the rituals. And then he goes on, and maybe we can identify with this a little bit more if we're not real familiar with the Jewish heritage, where he just simply says, having no hope. 
When we think today about where we were before Christ, the descriptor is we had no hope. You may have not even thought about that. But the reality is when you start tracing the goodness of God and the grace of God, the reality is, is before Christ you had no hope. You had nothing to cling to for the future. And he's saying to the Gentile people, don't miss that. They had God's little G they worshipped, God's plural they worshipped. But they didn't live in such a way to where they thought that life might be hard right now as a Gentile. But at least I've got that beyond death to look forward to. They had no hope. This morning, just before walking over, about it was about 840 I heard from Jessica Matheson, Jessica and Rory, that Rory's mom had just passed away. Miss Willie Matheson. And they were grieving. You've, you've had that call before. You've had that conversation before. You've gotten news like that before when a friend or a relative and they're gone. I know today that when Miss Willie Matheson left this earth, that she had the hope that her first breath, her first sight would be Jesus Christ. She lived with hope. How many times have you said to yourself as a believer, I don't know how people do it. I don't know how people go through something like this without Christ. How do they find hope? And the Apostle Paul is saying that's the reality. Who you were was a people with no hope. And and then he takes it, he, he just puts this blunt phrase right on the end of this statement. Without hope and without God in the world. Without hope and without God in the world. Having no hope affects our future. And for him to say that you are without God would affect their present. And when I read that phrase, without God in the world, the two-word phrase that just comes to my mind is this. The Apostle Paul was saying to them, you were completely alone. Completely alone. Completely alone. You say, Pastor, that's a lot of bad. That's a lot of negative. Mark Dever wrote a book about sharing our faith. And me and another guy, was, we were reading this book together this week. And I came to this paragraph and he said, Mark Dever says, When considering how to evangelize, many people don't like to include anything negative in their presentation. They're thought to be negative approaches and positive approaches to sharing the gospel. And talking about sin and guilt and repentance and sacrifice is, is thought to be a negative one, which is why in many circles it's currently out of favor. And then he gives this quote. He says, I heard one television preacher say these words, and he quotes this preacher that says, I don't think that anything has been done in the name of Christ and under the banner of Christianity that has proven more destructive to human personality and hence counterproductive to the evangelistic enterprise 
than the unchristian, uncouth strategy of attempting to make people aware of their lost and sinful condition. Now here's the big problem with that. The big problem with that is that that is some human philosophy that leaves out the entire book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul says, here's what makes the good news so good. The bad news was so bad. Here's where you were. You were without Christ. You were without hope. You were without God. You were without promise. You were without fellowship. But then he comes to that three-letter word, but. But now in Christ Jesus, and he moves to this, remember who you are. Remember who your identity is. He says, remember that you are, number one, brought near. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. All of this farness and all of this separation and all of that hostility, it's been removed. And all of the outside the circle talk has been replaced with inside the circle talk. Number two, he says, a dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. Got it, verse 13, verse 14. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This dividing wall of hostility that had been broken down first was with other believers. And specifically, listen, specifically the Apostle Paul was saying this wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. And that animosity and that prejudice and that enmity that existed between that Jew and that Gentile, it has been removed, it has been destroyed, it has been demolished, it has been taken away so that you can be in relationship and fellowship with one another. Look at it in verse 14. He himself is our peace. I want to emphasize that word our. Why? Because he changes pronouns. And he goes from them and they to our and us. And the Apostle Paul writing as a Jew to Gentiles begins to show Gentile in Christ. Jew writing to you in Christ. It's not, the, it's not them and they now. It's our and us. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. He's saying that God went and got the Jew and God went and got the Gentile and he has brought them together as us, as one, and it's no longer them and they, it's one. It's one man. He's writing in a day here where the temple is still standing and the Jewish people could go into that temple and sacrifices could be offered and their Jewish high priest could go behind the curtain and he could offer that sacrifice once each year. And at the very temple itself was a wall around that temple that separated where the Jews spent time and where the Gentiles spent time. And it was literally called the court of Gentiles because that's as far as they could go when it, they got to the temple where God was being worshipped. 
And with that physical wall standing still, the Apostle Paul says something great has happened. Even though there's a physical wall still standing at the temple, spiritually that wall has been removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he has made peace between you and one another. And when you as a Gentile came to Jesus by faith and the Jew now comes to Jesus by faith, you are brought together as one. This has major implications for us as we relate to other people. It has major implications for how we relate to other races. It has major implications for how we relate to classes of people. When you read Paul's words here, what he's saying here is that there is now no longer in Jesus Christ a Jewish race or an Asian race. There is not a black race or a Hispanic race. There's not this dividing wall that allows us to say there's hostility and enmity between us. He's saying there is one race, that is the Jesus race. And he is showing to us that there is now because of Jesus Christ, this bringing together of humanity into one race if you're in Jesus Christ. The dividing wall of hostility has been broken down between others. And third, a dividing wall of hostility has been killed between us and God. Verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God. Reconcile us both. The Jews needed to be reconciled to God. They had never been able to keep the law and the statutes. They needed to be reconciled to God. And the Gentile needed to be reconciled to God. Just like you and I and every other color of skin, religious person, any educated, non-educated, wherever we would come from, we all need to be reconciled to God. He said we might be he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. Remember when Jesus died on the cross what happened in the temple? When Jesus died on the cross in the temple where the Holy of Holies were, where only the high priest could go in and offer sacrifices, what happened? On that day that Jesus died, the what? The veil. The veil was torn. The veil was rent. And it was the picture by 70 A.D. The temple had been destroyed itself. He goes on and he says, you were brought near. This dividing wall was demolished. Number four, you have access to the Father. That was huge. How, how could they have access to the creating God if they were not included in all of what God was doing in the Old Testament? He says, it's happened. Verse 17, and he came, who? Jesus came, and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And you and I can pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. We're able to have access to the Father. It's prayer, it's communion, it's fellowship. And then he says, you become fellow citizens. So 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He's just walking them through 
You thought you were on the outside. You were on the outside. But then he shows them one last thing here of what they of who they were. He says who they now are. He says you are being built together in a dwelling place for God. And what a beautiful picture. He says in verse 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He's saying God has brought all people together. And in the Spirit, all of you, person after person after person, red and yellow, black and white, being brought together where, the, where God himself will dwell. What did it cost for the law to be abolished? What did it cost for that enmity and hostility to be killed? He says it twice in this. Remember the cost. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by, say it with me, by the what? Blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. And then he says in verse, verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. What did it cost for you to be brought near? What did it cost for you to be a citizen of God? What did it cost for you to have hope? What did it cost for you to have a relationship with God? It cost the blood of the Son. It cost Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. He bought you with a high, high price. And today when you walk out of this room and the enemy tries to attack you and accuse you and belittle you and shrink you, you're able to speak to the enemy and say, now nah, enemy, I know who I used to be, but praise the Lord, I know who I am now. And I have been bought with a price, the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb, we overcome. I want to ask the band to come this morning and we're going to, we're going to sing together a reminder as they're coming to find their place Paul wants us here to have it settle in for it to be sealed in us who we are because he knows it will affect the way we live leading a church before I came here we, we were in Cleveland Tennessee eight years and then came here and from 1992 to 2000 there in Cleveland and first pastorate and church of about 120 and I didn't know what I was doing I, I, not that I do today I, but I was certainly aware of it then and, and, and just try, Lord what do we do what do we do what do we do how do we lead this church and I started reading the history of Macedonia Baptist Church in Cleveland Tennessee and in a written history I found a sentence in my first year there and, it, and the sentence said something really close to these words. Writing about their history, it says, They took bold steps of faith and were willing to try things that were not being done. And when I read that statement, I said, That's telling the church who they are. And I brought that statement up to the church and I said, You know who you are? 
And I read that statement, and it was crazy. For the next eight years, basically, that statement began decision after decision after decision. It was like people would say, we know who we are. We'll take steps of faith, even though we don't know that it's been done anywhere else. And I think what Paul is doing right here is he's saying, remember who you were. Remember who you are. Remember what Jesus paid. Because from this day forward, it's going to affect every step you take on this earth and into eternity. Father, today, would you help us to remember? Help us to remember. Let's stand.